1: You are listening to episode 21 of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 48, 10-volt orbital, January 30, 2373. For lunch, Ms. Maloney served up a pair of savory quiches with a bean salad and a tangy vinaigrette. Her crusty breads had become a staple, and even if we had no customers to appreciate it, the crew did. Well, to be more precise, Miss Arione and I did. The chief had neither returned nor apparently even read his messages. There were three reasons I didn't expect to see Mr. Herring any time soon. He was young, male, and had credits to burn. With no watch schedule to constrain him, I suspected he'd stay out until he ran out of credits, money being in shorter supply than stamina at his age. When we gathered for lunch, the group seemed small after nearly two weeks with the lively companionship of Andrew Lehman and the youthful exuberance of Perk Herring. I marveled at how well the chief faded into the background. When spoken to, he stood out well enough. But between times, he had the knack of being nearly invisible. After the initial cutting and first bites of quiche, we got down to business. So what did you find, Miss She swallowed the bite of quiche and shook her head. I checked maybe two dozen, Skipper. One had been fixed. Which one was it, Miss A lighting panel in engineering stores, sir. I sighed, but the quiche was delicious, and the counterpoint with the crusty loaf and tangy salad struck sparks off my taste buds. After lunch, I need to go to the CPJCT office here and find out what happened to my endorsement. You haven't received it yet, Captain, Miss Maloney asked. No, and they told me it would be only five to seven working days. Ah, bureaucracy. Miss Maloney said. We can get gossip across the quadrants in days, but official correspondence takes weeks. Gossip, Miss Maloney. She flipped open her tablet and spun it on the table so I could see a rather blurry photo of me and my civvies coming out of plum blossom in the company of a stylishly dressed Miss Maloney. The words Playboy Flyboy dines in style were scrolled across the image and only partially hid her face. Ouch, Miss Arione said, looking at the photo. "'Chris, you've been reduced to the unnamed. "'How insulting.' "'Miss Maloney smirked. "'Actually, in the story, they tease with references "'to somebody who's supposed to be in mourning "'but is really living the high life in secret. "'I'm a playboy,' I asked. "'How am I a playboy?' "'The two women just looked at me like I'd grown another head. "'After sharing a look, Miss Arione said, "'Skipper, it's a headline. "'It's not supposed to make sense.' "'The two of them shared a small laugh at my expense.' but something about the photo bothered me. I couldn't quite place it, but there was something odd. Do you have to deal with this all the time, Miss Maloney? What's that, Captain? The publicity, the gossip. I've been pretty lucky, although occasionally some newsy will take an interest in me. It's worse when I'm on Diurnia and there's something going on with the company or my family. It's been pretty quiet ever since Mother left." Oh, you get plenty of notice, Miserione said with a sly smile. What about that blow-up with what's-his-name, the art critic? Oh, Simon? She gave her head a little toss. Yes, well, Simon is a drama queen in his own right. Personally, I think his career was flagging, so he picked a fight with me in public. I never did figure out what that was about. The newsies never actually said, did they? Something about some artist show you were putting on, and he thought it was some kind of put-up deal. He accused me of sleeping with the artist, so he'd put the show in my gallery. "'Miss Maloney saw my bemused look and took pity on me. "'A year ago, last November, I think it was, "'she looked at Miss Arione, who nodded in confirmation. "'I hung a show of works by Antonio Velasquez Romero "'in my gallery on Jet. "'It was a big show, and Romero is a big fish "'for an operator like me to get. "'Simon Aubergine is the self-appointed saviour "'of the art world in our benighted corner of the galaxy, "'and every so often he goes on a tear. "'He thought the only way I could get Romero "'to do a show with me on Jet, of all places, "'was to sleep with him.' Miss Arione was dying to ask the obvious question, but I was proud of her for refraining. You got a lot of attention for that. Seems like every time I looked, you were in the newsies and being accused of sleeping with somebody. Miss Maloney made a wry face. Yeah, that got old after a while. She sighed, and her mouth twisted into a crooked smile. Still, I should probably thank Simon. Why's that? Miss Arione asked. Without all his yelling about it, the show might have been a horrible failure. As it was, we sold out the entire gallery in about a month. Not just Romero's work, but everything I had. I even brought stuff out of storage and had artists taking the shuttle up from the planet with more work to sell. She laughed quietly. I managed to get the newsies squashed when it was over. They mostly leave me alone now. What did you do? I leaked a photo of me walking with my father anonymously. Some poor gullible newsie ran it with the headline, Gallery Girl Likes Older Men. I gave the article to my father and let him handle it. As Arione and I both laughed, and the light dancing in Ms. Maloney's eyes intrigued me. By then we'd all eaten about as much as we wanted, and by silent consensus rose and took care of the dishes and leftover food. Will you be comfortable alone on the ship, Miss Maloney? I asked. Well, of course, Captain, why not? I thought you might like to go ashore, see a little of tenfold. You've got a chore to do, Captain, and I've got supplies coming from the chandlery. No, I'll stay here and get this taken care of, but if the offer's still good later, maybe we can get some dinner. I wouldn't say no to a meal I didn't have to cook or clean up after. I know exactly what you mean, Miss Maloney, and let's plan on that. I turned to Miss Arione. Are you ready to guard my body, Miss Arione? You're taking this much too lightly, Skipper. When you were a nobody, it was one thing, but you're getting more attention now. I need just a moment to go freshen up. Don't leave without me. She ducked out into the passage and headed for a compartment. I sighed and looked back at Miss Maloney. How do you deal with bodyguards? Not well, I confess, Captain. If DST weren't paying for mine, I wouldn't have one, I'll tell you that. Why are they paying? I mean, what are we being guarded against? This all seems so unnecessary. I think probably most of the time. It is, she said. Once you become a public figure, though, it only takes getting tied up in one hysterical mob to appreciate somebody having your back. Well, I suppose. But wouldn't having a friend along do as well? Maybe, Captain, but... She paused and looked at me under lowered brows. How many friends do you have you'd trust to watch your back right now? My response must have shone on my face, because she said, "'Yeah, me too, Captain. Me too.'" Miss Arione came to the door of the galley and stopped, waiting for me to join her. I nodded to Miss Maloney. "'We'll see in a few, then.'" I followed Ms. Arione down the ladder and off the ship, sealing the lock behind us. The chill of the docks and the lunchtime conversation made me begin to pay closer attention to the people around me. As a clipper captain, one gets used to a certain amount of recognition— I always said I could recognize a captain, whether he or she were in uniform or not. I hadn't been a captain all that long, but I learned to recognize it, the flash in the eyes when you walked by a spacer. Since I mostly went around the orbital in ship suit and showing rank, it wasn't so surprising. What I noticed as we walked to the CPJCT office was something else. It was more than, oh, that's a captain, and more like, oh, I know him. Do these people seem a little different to you, Miss A bit too familiar with your face, Skipper? Yes, Miserioni. I thought so, too. I wonder if there's been more press, Sar. Well, the Playboy Flyboy picture was bad enough. She snorted, but we kept moving. In relatively few ticks, we were at CPJCT, and I presented myself and my credentials to the functionary. One moment, Captain, I'll pull up your records. Thank you. After a moment, she turned to me. So how can I help you, Captain Huang? I'm looking for my small craft steward endorsement. I passed the test on Welliver, and they told me it would be applied to my records electronically, and I could pick up the physical copy here on arrival. She looked into her terminal and frowned. Tapping a few keys, she pursed her lips and nodded. Yes, I see the record of your exam, that you passed, and that the request went to Diurnia Central Registry for processing on January 13th. She tapped a few more keys and shook her head. I'm sorry, Captain, but they don't seem to have responded yet. She looked over the counter at me apologetically. "'And according to my understanding, "'I can't book paying passengers on my vessel "'until that response comes through?' "'That is correct, Captain. "'It does take a while for the forms to go through. Seven to ten days is just an estimate, "'and we are a long way out. "'If they routed it back to—' "'She paused to look at the screen. Wellover, it might have been delayed a few days. "'There's no way to tell where it is in the process "'or whether it might show up any time in the next few days. "'I'm sorry, there isn't, Captain.' I can send a query to them, but it's likely to be three days before we get an answer back. Your endorsement could catch up to you by then. It could be in transit now and show up in your box any minute. Or not for a week, I said. She grimaced and nodded. Unfortunately so, Captain. How long will you be on Tenvolt? I was hoping to leave on the second. There's not much I can do for you, Captain. I'll keep an eye open, and if it arrives, I'll forward it to you immediately. Thanks. I appreciate your looking. I would have appreciated her finding even more, but the wheels sometimes grind slowly, and often grind slowest when you're caught in them. We left the office and Miss Arione looked to me. Ship, I said, I need to find more cargo. Can you fill the compartments with cargo, Captain? I thought about it as we headed for the lift. I could if it weren't crated up, Miss Arione. I had an odd thought. I wonder how much of the flea market we could buy. She laughed at the idea, and I saw a couple of people look up at her laugh, but then focus on me. It began to feel a little creepy. We made it back to the ship without incident, and I intended to retire to my cabin to deal with logs, cargo, and crew issues. The chief still had not read my message. At least the receipt had not returned, so I felt confident that it had not been delivered. For a guy who was just going out to stretch his legs, he'd been gone an awfully long time. But when we stepped back aboard, the green funk was stronger and I knew the scrubbers would degrade pretty rapidly. Do you smell that, Miss Arione? Yes, sir. What is it? Scrubbers need their filters replaced. I sent a note to the chief, but he hasn't responded. Can you fix them, Skipper? I think so, Miss Arione, but not before I put on an old ship suit. It gets messy, and I'd just as soon not mess up one of my better ones. Don't blame you, sir. You need a hand with anything? No, thank you, Miss Arione. I can handle this. Okay, sir. We headed up the ladder to deck one, and I stopped at the cabin for change of clothing before heading for the spares closet. On the way, I tried to remember what I knew about cartridge-filtered scrubbers. One thing that stood out was that you didn't really want the whole rack to be the same age if you could avoid it. The cartridge filters had an effectiveness curve where they were most effective in the middle of their duty cycle, so wise engineers cycled through cartridges, swapping old, the oldest and least effective, and replacing a few at a time so they weren't all brand new like we'd been forced to do when the array failed entirely. By rotating them, it helped spread the load and improve the overall scrubber performance profile. When I got to the scrubber, I pulled the casing off and found the same mess I'd seen before, maybe a bit worse. The whole thing looked ready for catastrophic failure. I dropped new filters on the deck and went back for a trash tote and two more filters. After that, it was an easy matter to swap out the half-dying filters for four fresh ones. The new filters should stabilize the older ones, although the chief would need to swap out the older ones before we got to jump. I refastened the casing and pushed the loaded trash tote back to the bulkhead, latching it down before heading to the cabin for a shower and another fresh ship suit. I began to wonder if he'd run into some trouble ashore. I couldn't imagine any bodyguard worth his salt could be mugged, but there were other things that could have happened. Accidents, illness, legalities. My mind steered away from hostile action as a possibility. After I got cleaned up, just for reference, I pinged Mr. Herring with a meaningless status update, confirming we'd be getting underway at 1500 on February 2nd. I included the return receipt with that message and noted it was not quite 1400. If I didn't get a receipt back from him, I might assume it was something with the system, and I immediately began worrying that I'd munged up the upgrade. I took a deep breath and started digging into the system's diagnostics, looking for the right tests to run when my tablet bipped. I looked down and saw the receipt from Mr. Herring. I frowned. The chief was beginning to irk me. Under the circumstances, there wasn't much I could do except wait him out. I couldn't really report him missing until he'd been gone for a full day, and he was a grown man. With a sigh, I pushed the chief out of my mind for the moment and focused on the list of priority cargos bound for Diurnia. Chapter 49 10-volt orbital, January 30, 2373 By the time 1700 rolled around, I'd snagged another half-dozen small priorities for Diurnia. The onesie-twosie containers totaled thirty-eight and promised a substantial payout for an on-time delivery. It might not total as much as the priority we earned for delivering Dr. Lehman's equipment on time, but it was still nothing to drop out the log. With a couple more days of diligent sifting, I might actually manage to fill the hold. I considered recalling Mr. Herring and turning him loose on it, but discarded the idea. I stood up from my console and stretched my arms over my head to get blood moving through my body. I found some civvies, something dressy but low-key enough to wear almost anywhere without feeling over- or under-dressed. The shop on Diurnia really did have good clothing. I pondered the story of a mythical tailor lurking in the upper reaches of the orbital and thought perhaps I'd pay a call with M. Robillet's introduction when we got back. Dressed and feeling more than a tad peckish, I crossed to the mess deck to find Miss and Miss Maloney waiting. Miss wore her black leather jacket with studs and chains over a shock-white blouse. The collar stood up and she wore it unbuttoned almost to impropriety. A stylishly embroidered pair of jeans and something that looked like combat boots on her feet finished the outfit. On her short stature, the look was harder than it might have seemed on somebody taller. The leather and metal looked like armor. By comparison, Miss Maloney wore a black wool bolero jacket over a cranberry dress with a square neck and a skirt that fell just below her knees. Sensible pumps in black with flashes of red at the tips of the heels and toes finished the outfit. A silk scarf, artfully knotted at her throat, stood in for jewelry that she most definitely did not need. Wow. Thank you, Captain, Miss Maloney said with an amused smile. I feel like a kid going out with the old folks for dinner, Miss Arione said with a cheeky grin. I'm not that much older than you are, scamp, Miss Maloney said. Miss Arione just grinned and drawled. Well, somebody has to watch out for the elders. I guess that's me. "'Don't let Chief Bailey hear you talk like that. "'He'll skin you alive,' Miss Maloney said with a laugh. "'Where is Chief Bailey, Miss Maloney? "'Do you know?' I asked. "'She shook her head, and her face took on a worried frown. "'I don't know, and I haven't seen him since breakfast. "'Does he do this often? "'I've never known him to. "'Well, there's not much we can do about it now. "'Shall we go eat?' "'What about Perk?' Miss Arione said. "'Did he come back aboard?' "'Oh,' she said. "'He came in earlier, but I'm not sure.' I went to his compartment and knocked once before sticking my head in. He wasn't in there, but a towel on the bunk and a dusting of civilian clothing across the deck made me think he had been. Closing the door again, I went back to the mess deck. Not there. I checked the lock records while you were looking. He left about a stan ago. Good thinking. How do you know it was him? Miss Maloney asked, curiosity lining her face. Well, I don't really, she admitted. But somebody left the ship via the main lock about a stan ago given that we saw him come in around 14.30, heard him singing in the shower around 14.45, and he's not aboard now? She shrugged. Circumstantial, but highly indicative. I turned to Ms. Maloney. Are you okay to go out with just us? She shrugged and looked at Ms. Arione, who nodded at the unspoken question. Yes, Captain, I think so. She smiled at me. Besides, I'm not the playboy flyboy here. You're going to be the target. Well, thanks for that reminder. Do we know where we're going? They both shook their heads. Okay, Miss Arione, we'll head up to Deck 7. Should be some places to eat there that aren't too exclusive, but better than the O2 deck. She nodded and strode out, heading for the ladder. I held a hand out for Miss Maloney to precede me, and we all trooped out onto the docks. I keyed the lock closed behind me as we left, and we waited until the lock sealed. Less than a quarter stand later, we strolled the promenade on Deck 7. What are they known for here besides electronics? Does anybody know? I asked. Ms. Maloney pulled her tablet from a pocket inside her jacket, and I was impressed that the tailoring hadn't given that away. "'Says here, Electronics Fabrication, Clean Room, and Crystalline Logic Membranes.' She gave me a wry grin. "'Doesn't say much about food.' She slipped the tablet away again as Ms. Arione approached the entrance of a likely-looking establishment with the words Le Biff Tech in flowing lettering on the sign. She looked at the menu posted in the window and shrugged. "'They apparently serve steak, Captain.' I'm not surprised, Miss Arione. I could see Miss Maloney staring at the sign. It's spelled wrong, she said. Any place else but here, I'd agree with you, Miss Maloney, but would you care to bet that the place got started by somebody who was tired of working for ten volt systems or whoever the leaseholder here is? No bet, but why this? Because they wanted to open a restaurant that would appeal to the technical crowd. It's a pun, I said. The beef tech beef technology. A steakhouse. She closed her eyes and shook her head. That is so sad, she said at last, and a laugh bubbled out of her. I don't get it, Miserione said. It's a pun in French, Miserioni Le bifteck with a K instead of an H at the end, is French for steak. She looked back and forth between us a couple of times and shrugged. Okay, shall we eat here? "'Oh, yes. I think we have to,' Miss Maloney said. "'Anybody who can have that much fun just naming a restaurant?' "'Sounds good to me, too.' I nodded at the door. "'Miss Arione, you'll dine with us, and none of the silliness you usually do? "'Aye, aye, Captain. Then lead the way.' She shook her head but grinned and led us into a delightful little bistro with electronic candles on the tables, wall tiles made of what looked like circuit boards on a giant scale, and a healthy appreciation for beef, flame, onions, and bread.' I saw Miss Maloney smile, and I thought five years melted off her face. The maitre d' showed us to a table where Miss Arione could watch the room and the entrance while we dined with our backs to the mass of people, and, with luck, any nosy newsy who happened to be having a quick dinner. Dinner was delicious. Miss Arione kept her eye on the restaurant, but also managed to enjoy about a kilo of prime beef, a baked potato the size of a small asteroid, and a large pile of green beans. Miss Maloney went for a subtle beef en cru with horseradish "'while I took fork to a delightfully rare steak au pauvre "'with a side of garlic mashed potatoes and broccoli. "'Conversation started with the art of French cooking "'and rapidly transitioned to Miss Maloney's stories "'from her college days at l'Institut des Arts Culinaires. Miss Arione seemed fascinated. "'I can't imagine what it must be like to go to school every day for staniards "'and just, you know, cook. "'And we did other things.' "'Ms. Maloney said. Studied history, liability law, management, accounting. "'It's just like any other college, really, except when you master dessert, you graduate.' "'Ms. Arione's eyes got very round. "'Really?' "'Ms. Maloney shook her head. "'No, but that was the joke. "'They saved the courses on desserts for seniors. "'Puddings, pies, cakes, anything sweet. "'They based the whole curriculum around a five-course meal.' I think they did it that way so the people who weren't going to make it got disillusioned early by making and eating about a thousand salads in the first year. Miss Arione wrinkled her nose and scanned the dining room again while Miss Maloney laughed softly. How did you happen to go into E and D? I asked her. She shrugged and played with her water glass. When I got out of school, mother insisted I do something. That's when I thought I might like to open a restaurant. She leaned in my direction a little. Mother thought that was a grand idea. "'until she found out I plan to be the chef.' "'She straightened back up and sipped from her glass "'before tilting her head back "'and looking down her nose and pursing her mouth. "'It's just not done, my dear, not done at all. "'People of our station are not working class. "'The idea's just too plebeian, I forbid it.' "'How could she stop you?' Miss Arione asked. "'Now? I don't think she could. "'Then she controlled the purse strings. "'I would have needed a lot of help from Father "'to get it started. "'Without her around, he might have gone for the idea. "'With her there, not a chance.' "'So you chucked it all and went to e and D? I I asked. "'Basically, I was angry with her and father. "'The whole social scene felt trivial and artificial "'after spending four stand years actually doing something, making something. "'So, yes, Captain, I chucked it all and went to E&D. "'After about eight weeks of orientation and training, "'they put about 40 of us on a barge "'and dragged us out to the edge of the deep dark. It was a lot of dirt, a lot of chemicals, "'a lot of cold and even more dirt. "'We mixed bacteria cocktails and seeded whole planets at a go.' long hours, short pay, and we were out there for two solid stanniers. I met Andy Lehman out there. The group bonded pretty well. There were half a dozen of us who held each other up and together while we poisoned planets. Mazzarione looked shocked. Poisoned planets? That's what we called it after a while. Admin hated it when we said that, but what else could you call it? The worlds were lovely and alien. We changed them into something we could use, something we could exploit. In most cases, that meant killing almost everything that was there and starting over from dirt— after we'd rebuilt the dirt. Our group did four planets in the two standards. We did the initial groundwork and then moved on. E and D lets the initialization run for a decade or so and then they send in another team to seed the place with plants and animals. Her story ran down as she played with her glass, staring into it like a sloshing crystal ball. When I got back, I got my father to loan me a few credits and opened my first gallery on jet. It wasn't easy, but compared to E&D, she gave a bitter laugh. Miss looked impressed. I thought Miss Maloney looked depressed. Okay, then. Anybody up for dessert? They both looked at me. Miss Arione, like she couldn't believe I'd spoken. Miss Maloney like she was glad I had. They have creme brulee here, Captain. I haven't had a good creme brulee since I left Soucy. Miss Maloney said. Creme brulee it is, then, Miss Maloney. What's creme brulee? Miss Arione asked. When done right, it's heaven with a sugar crust, Miss Maloney explained. Sounds good to me, Miss Arione said. "'I ordered a round for the table, and we talked about passengers and cargo "'and what we might be able to do to make the ship more livable. "'When we got back to the ship, we found the chief, "'sitting at the table, drinking coffee and eating leftover quiche. "'Ah, there you are, Cap. "'Evening, Miss Maloney, Miss Arione. "'Good evening, Chief. "'I didn't quite know what to make of it. "'Are you all right?' "'Oh, I, Cap, right as rain. "'Feeling much better for the sleep. "'I am much better.' "'The ratings excused themselves and headed for their compartment "'while I entered the galley and contemplated the chief.' Can I ask where you were all day, Chief? Of course you can ask, Cap. Darn right. Took a lovely walk around this morning, came back in when the cargo folks started making a rumpus. Went to my compartment, fell asleep. He grinned and raised his cup. Must have needed it, because I never heard another thing all day. Do you have your tablet with you? Right here, Cap, right here. He pulled it out of his holster and held it up. Always carry it. You bet I do. May I see it, Chief? He shrugged and handed it over. Of course you can, Cap. Of course you can. I examined it and handed it back. You might want to charge it, Chief. It works better that way. He looked startled. Well, Cap, don't that beat all. I'll do that right away. I most certainly will. When you get it charged, you'll probably find a message from me asking you to report to the ship immediately and swap out the filters on the scrubbers. I sent that this morning. He sniffed the air. I'll look at that, Cap. Right after I finish eating, I will. You might just double-check my work, Chief, because the situation degraded rapidly. When you didn't respond to the message, I had to change the filters myself. You'll find the used ones in a trash tote in engineering. You should have woke me, Cap. I'd have been happy to do that. Of course I would have. If I'd known you were aboard, Chief, I certainly would have. I paused while he continued to eat. Where are we on fueling and tankage, Chief? Oh, they're topping off now, Cap. Should be right up there by noon, sir. Yeah, they should be. Also, before we get underway, I'd like you to fix up some of those punch list items I gave you. We need to get the ship put back together before we bring more passengers aboard. "'Oh, I, Cap, been meaning to work on those. I have, indeed. "'I'll get on that first thing in the morning, see if I don't. "'Thank you, Chief. Good night.' "'I turned and left the galley before I spoke again. "'I had the uncomfortable feeling that he really didn't take my orders very seriously. "'On the one hand, it wasn't unusual for chief engineering officer "'to have a large amount of leeway in the chain of command. "'Typically, their specialized knowledge buys them a lot. "'Without an engineer, the ship can't sail, and that's a pretty hefty lever.' On the other hand, Chief Bailey's attitude about his work seemed a bit lax. I couldn't be sure what the issue might be, whether he thought that he worked for Ms. Maloney, so whatever I told him didn't really matter, or perhaps he thought the routine maintenance tasks like changing light panels were beneath his notice. Whichever hand we were talking about, his attitude and that odd speech pattern teamed up to scrape across my brain. What I first found a bit interesting and perhaps amusing, I now found grating and aggravating. His story seemed plausible if only remotely, I couldn't imagine how he had gotten aboard, even with all the activity surrounding the cargo handlers. With the ladder secured, he'd have had to walk through the active cargo bay right in front of us to enter through engineering stores. It seemed very unlikely to me, as did the idea he'd slept the day away. A whim took me to the logs for the forward lock and a pair of entries jumped out. At 1833, the main lock opened and closed again. It opened and closed again about five ticks later. I rose and went to Mr. Herring's compartment, knocked softly once and stuck my head in. It wasn't any neater, but somebody had moved things around. The towel that had laid across the bunk now hung on the hook at the end. The clothing that had been strewn around the deck now appeared to have been swept into a pile in the corner. Not exactly cleaned up, but at least evidence that Mr. Herring had returned to the ship and then gone back out. I backed out and closed the compartment door. It gave me a lot to think about. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad and is used with permission of the artists. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandas, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. license. For more information about the book, the author, and the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com.